I don't know about you, but I see the evidence of God's goodness all over my life. Woo! Can I get another amen? Amen. Yes. And so as I come up here this morning, I can't help but be overwhelmed by God's goodness to me, my family, this church, uh, his people. And so I want to just spend two minutes just talking about stewardship. Um, you know, we come up here week after week and we let you know there's boxes in the back or you can give on gaten.church slash give. <laughs> and, um, but I want to say a little more today um, because it really is in response to that evidence of his goodness, that glory of the fulfillment in our lives that we get this opportunity to enter in to his plans and purposes. I don't know if you know this, this church is alive. If you haven't been over here during the week, come. This place is packed. We got agape filled. We got kids in space doing school here. We got youth ministry. We got young adults meeting throughout the week. I mean, this place is going insane in the middle of all of this craziness. We got Wednesday night prayer. We've got Bible studies still meeting, some through Zoom, some back together in a mixed format. We've got Sunday schools happening here. This church is happening. I'm excited. I feel like that's the hand of God. Um, and we see the evidence of his faithfulness in all of that, his goodness. And as we think about it this morning, I'm just going to say, hey, pray about it. See what God would call you into in sharing in that. I think I'm sitting back here and I'm thinking, food bank? Oh, my goodness. If you guys didn't see the video at Carver, you gotta. It was awesome. It was awesome. Just be part of that, would you? I think it's a great opportunity. Think about it as ministry. Think about joining in with Gaten. Maybe you can't come out here and teach youth on Sunday nights. Maybe you're not having a small group meet at your house. Maybe you're not able to do many of these things, but you are able to be involved with them in a deep, deep, meaningful way through prayer, through sharing the gifts that God has given you. And we would ask you to consider that. Well, this morning, um, we're here to talk about the book of Esther. Yeah, everybody had a little saying come to their mind, but in case you haven't read the book of Esther, or that little saying didn't come into your mind, I'm about to show you a clip from one of the greatest movies ever made. Certainly the greatest movie ever made on the life of Esther. Go ahead, guys. Cousin Mordecai? What is it? Oh, he's done it. He's finally done it. Who? Done what? Look! What's this? It's an edict. In just a few days, all of us, our whole family, will be sent to the island of perpetual tickling. What? Who? Who did this? Oh, who do you think? Haman! I told you he hates us, hates our whole family, and, and now he's done it. He got the king to sign this, and, and we'll all be banished. Oh, what are you going to do? That's just it. I can't do anything. I'm just a guard. But you, you're the queen. What do you mean? 
You must go to him! You must go to the king! What? Don't you know what happens to people who appear before the king uninvited? Esther! Remember the Peony brothers? Esther! There is no other way! You are the only one who can stop this! No! No, I'm not gonna! I... I didn't even want to be the queen! No! You're smart, Mordecai! Think of another way! Esther, there is no other way! I... I wasn't even brave enough to go to my friend about the apple, and, and now you want me to go to the king? Even if he doesn't banish me for showing up, why would he listen to me? I mean, Haman is his right-hand man. I can't tell you what to do, but I can tell you this. You wanted to know why you were here, why you became queen. I told you God must have a reason. Esther, perhaps he put you here for such a time as this. Perhaps this is the reason. Esther, you never have to be afraid to do what's right. I'll pray for you. We'll all pray for you. Academy Award, right? <laughs> Woo! Uh, little known trivial fact, um, the only VeggieTale movie to win a Kids' Choice Award. Also, the only VeggieTale movie to not feature Bob the Tomato, and I had suspected for some time that he was holding the ensemble back. So, uh, you, you gotta think about it. But now let's say it together. Those Esther words. For such a time is this. Um, and as we uh, read in the Bible, unfortunately it was not the island of perpetual tickling. <laughs> Uh, this king signed an edict where the Jewish people would be exterminated. And the Bible recounts that conversation. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will come in another way. I mean, hear that. God has a plan here. God has a people. He has a, a plan to prosper those people. And he will do it, whether Esther speaks or not, but you and your father's family will surely perish. So who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I'm going to challenge us that uh, God has placed, well, everybody, everybody, um, where they are for such a time as this. Um, so let me open us in prayer, and then we'll dive in here. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this beautiful day and an opportunity to go to the park and spend time together this afternoon. Father, we thank you that we're here this morning, uh, whether online or here in person. Father, we long, long to hear from you as we heard from you in worship already. Father, now speak past me. We want to hear from you not me. And Father, we just long that in that hearing, we would be changed. Changed to become more like your son. Changed in ways uh, that we can go out and change the world for you. Father, connect us this morning to our such a time as this. And Father, we ask it in the powerful name of your son, Jesus. Amen.
Well, it is impossible to enter into the story of Esther without a little history lesson. So bear with me. I, you know, I, I'm a geek, so I love it. But um, if you don't really know what's going on here, it's really hard to understand. Um, so you guys may know, um, there were no good kings in the northern kingdom of Israel. None. No good kings. And so at some point, God just says, I'm done. And so Shalamanser, king of Assyria, besieges Israel, the northern kingdom, in about 725 B.C. And Sargon II, yeah, Sargon, you may recognize the name from Lord of the Rings. Um, yeah, a real name, real bad guy, too. Um, he finishes the siege, conquers the northern kingdom, and all of God's people in the northern kingdom are swept away into captivity in Assyria. So there's really three big things that happen um, in the history of Israel. One is Egypt. <laughs> One is Assyria. <laughs> the next is Babylon. And so that we will see, kind of leads all of God's people out. And then finally, they end up getting to come back under the Persians. But Northern Kingdom gone in 722. As we hit uh, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, he conquers Assyria. So Assyria owns the known world at the time. Nebuchadnezzar comes along and conquers Assyria, and so now Babylon owns the world as we know it. Jerusalem, the southern kingdom of Judah, becomes a vassal state of Babylon until Jehoiakim, you may know that name from the Bible, becomes king of Judah. He pays homage to um, Nebuchadnezzar. He understands, but secretly harbors a desire to break free from Babylon. He starts negotiating with the Egyptians who are back on the rise after losing all their slaves. And Nebuchadnezzar finds out in 588, he comes, he besieges Judah, he conquers Judah, and destroys Solomon's temple. At that point, all of Israel, northern and southern kingdom, are deported to Babylon. So nobody is left in Judah. Nobody is left in Israel. Nobody is left in the destroyed city of Jerusalem. They are all in, now, Babylon. Babylonian captivity. Along comes Cyrus the Great, um, and in 538, he conquers Babylon. He's a Mede from Media, um, which is part of Persia, and so now we have the Persian Empire. So we go Assyrians, Babylonians, Persians, and Cyrus, because he's the Great, in 538, lets the Jews return to Jerusalem. 
Um, he puts an edict out that says, no longer will the Jews be in captivity. No longer are they banned from their homeland. They can go back if they want. What turns out to happen, on, uh, I don't know why, and uh, scholars don't really know why, many just stayed. Um, they had created lives, they had gotten married, they had children, they had jobs, they were prospering in Babylon, um, and so, or in uh, Persia at this time. Um, and so when we come into this story, that's what's going on here. Um, we're going to meet uh, some Jewish characters who are living in the uh, capital city of Susa in Persia. And they've been there. We, we read that Mordecai, um, who's a son of Kish, a son of uh, Benjamin, a son of... Uh, he's been in captivity since Nebuchadnezzar. Um, his whole family, his whole lineage, and he's still there. He's risen to perhaps a captain of the guard, many scholars think, um, given his position at the king's gate. That's not something that normally would happen for a citizen or a mere foot soldier. Um, and so he's prospering. But, but, I tell you all this history because I think it's relevant to this story. I think it's relevant to today. You can't really understand the cultural struggles you can't really understand the cultural background if you don't know the history and how it got there. Um, and so they may be prospering, they may be doing okay, but they're second-class citizens. They're Jews. They're not Persians. They're not conquered Babylonians. They're Jews. And so as we come into this story today, I want you to have that in mind. Um, a little bit more on the book of Esther. Um, you guys may know or not know that uh, this story comes from the scroll of Esther, uh, which is included in the Hebrew Bible. It is the foundation for the Hebrew holiday Purim. Uh, Purim is one of the best, most fun Jewish holidays that there are. People sometimes call it the Jewish Halloween. There's lots of like treats and good stuff and they give to the poor and give out candy and cakes and stuff like this. I don't think it's really Halloween, but, <laughs> uh, but it's really a great celebration. And that happens, you know, typically last week of February to the first week of April, somewhere in there as their calendar is slightly different and, and changes uh, year to year. Um, but they pull out the scroll of Esther during Purim and read that before the feast. Um, so it's celebrated. It's, uh, it's a huge deal that God would redeem this people in the midst of all of this trial and tribulation. And so as we come into the book of Esther today, um, right away in the first words of the book, we meet Ahash Barosh, king of Persia. We nail him as Xerxes. Um, really not a nice guy. Really, really narcissistic. Really, really thinks he's, he might be a god in his mind. Um, 
You guys may know him from the movie 300 or the story of the 300 Spartans. Xerxes, nobody could conquer Greece for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, and he tried, and 300 Spartans, not really, there were about 7,000 Greeks with them too, <laughs> but uh, this is um, King Leonidas at Thermopylae, great story of uh, military strategy and all of that, and he repels Xerxes as he tries to conquer Greece. That's Xerxes' claim to fame, um, is his attack on Greece. But he's just not a nice guy. And so as we come into the story, what's happening is this great king of Persia is holding one of the biggest parties ever held in the history of man. 180 days of celebration of him, his wealth, his glory, his power. Hmm. I wonder if God's offended by that. Yeah, I don't know. Well, we'll see. Um, but the party ends after 173 days with seven days of drinking. Mm. <laughs> um, and what we read in the Bible is that the drinking was done according to the king's decree, that being that there were no restraints. The wine flowed freely. The party was on for seven days. And after drinking for seven days, Xerxes, it says here in my Bible, that he was feeling good with wine, calls for Queen Vashti. Now, Queen Vashti is renowned for her beauty um, in the Persian world. She was a great politician herself. In fact, she was the power behind Xerxes. She was, at this same time that the men are all drinking for seven days, having this feast with all of the wives of the leaders and um, nobles of Persia. Just amazing political mind. But he calls for her and says, put on your crown, baby, and come on out, because I want to celebrate this beautiful wife of mine with all my drunken friends. Uh, Vashti says, I don't think so. I'm not coming. The king, in his drunkenness, his anger burns. All these voices of his friends are like, dude, you can't take that. That's no way to treat the king. And listening to them, he banishes Vashti. So he goes from king, married to the most beautiful woman in the world, to king, no one. What happens next is the biggest beauty pageant the world has ever seen. Get this decree. Go out in, now this is like the known world except Greece at the time. Go out throughout my kingdom and find me all the most beautiful virgins that exist in the kingdom. You know, no issue with creed, color, religion, nothing. Just get them all. I want all the beautiful women to pick from. But he doesn't just say, come get those women, bring them to me, and I'll pick one. He says, let's make them even more beautiful. And so for one full year, these women are bathed in milk. They are 
anointed with oils and incense. They are polished up and trained to be queens. I mean, oh, can you imagine a year at the spa? I might even go for that. Um, and so finally, um, as we get into chapter 2, we meet one of these contestants. Um, you saw her in the video. Absolutely beautiful piece of asparagus. Um, her name is Hadassah. She's had a rough start in life. Her parents are dead. Um, and so she is adopted by her cousin Mordecai. We think he's a captain of the guard for King Xerxes. Um, and you say, hmm, Hadassah, Esther? What's that about? It's very clear she's going to get into the beauty pageant. She's absolutely beautiful, the Bible tells us. Beautiful form and figure. Um, but Mordecai knows the dangers of being a second-class citizen. And so he says to her, don't let them know that you're Jewish. Don't let them know who your family is. Maybe you need to change your name <laughs> to something that fits the Persian world. How about Esther? <laughs> and so Hadassah becomes Esther in the story. And so the scroll of Esther is really the story of Hadassah um, as she gets called into this beauty pageant. Well, you can imagine this is a story of God's providence, of his goodness, of his plans and purposes. And so who wins the beauty pageant? Yeah, Esther. You saw that coming, right? Um, she becomes the queen. The story begins to really take, I mean, it becomes Netflix worthy in chapter three when da 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 we meet Haman. Ooh, he is not a nice guy. I think his narcissism may only be rivaled by Xerxes. And he longs to be the man. And that's what happens to him in verse 3 is he gets honored by King Xerxes. He becomes the second in command in Persia. He is honored. In fact, it says in the Bible that as he walked by, people are to bow before Haman. <clears throat> That's a little problem for Mordecai. <laughs> Mordecai doesn't bow before any man because he knows the sovereign God of the universe. I think it's a telling, and I'll just stop here and digress for a moment, uh, a telling thing that Mordecai, who has been in captivity his whole life. His family for generations has been in captivity. Is still a Bible-believing Jew. He is still, first and foremost, a servant of the Most High God. He is faithful in that practice. And so, as Haman comes by, Mordecai says, I don't do that. He is not God, and I'm not bowing. You can imagine, for a narcissist, that's a problem. And at that point, the Bible says, Haman's anger 
burned at Mordecai. That's the backdrop of what happens next. At this point, Mordecai, the captain of the guard, is sitting at the king's gate. Just a little bit about the king's gate. Um, as you come into the palace, um, it's surrounded by walls. It's surrounded by another wall. And then to get into the gardens and then uh, access to the actual um, building itself, you have to come through a single gate. It's the access to the king. This is a great honor. So we know that Mordecai had risen in his service to Xerxes because he's sitting by the king's gate. He has access to the grounds. We see that he checks on uh, Esther as she becomes queen and follows up with what's going on with her, has access to her. He uncovers a plot to kill Xerxes. And he shares that. He tells Esther... She tells the king, and she gives Mordecai the credit. Important part of the story. Don't forget that little piece. We'll come back to it. What happens in the meantime is Haman just gets madder and madder. Um, and so he hatches a plot to have the Jews exterminated. He goes to Xerxes, and he says, There is a people, my lord who don't recognize you as the greatest in the universe. I do, of course, Haman says. But these people plot against you. These people don't bow down before your edicts. These people don't bow down before your servants. These people are trouble. And Xerxes says, I don't know who they are, but they need to be killed. And so he signs an edict that all of the Jews must be exterminated. Not just in Susa, not just in, you know, Persia proper and media, but we're talking about in Jerusalem, in Babylon, in Assyria, those places that have been conquered where some captives still live. All of them will be eradicated. One thing you need to know about edicts from Persian kings is not even the king can take it back. If he puts the royal stamp on it, new facts come to light, sorry, too late, too bad, can't reverse it. And so an irreversible kill order has been issued for the Jews. Haman is delighted. Haman is beside himself with joy. He bumps into, uh, you know, Mordecai, and ah, he's just, I'm going to have the last laugh. And so you saw in the film that Haman comes to Esther with this edict and says, this is what's going on. Your husband, the king, wants to eradicate us and our people. And he says those famous words, for such a time is this. Esther invites the king. She, she has, and I, and I want you to really see this part. She says, sure, 
I'll do it. And if I perish, I perish. We'll talk about that next week. Um, but I need you to do something. Before I risk my life in going before the king, I need you to fast and pray. I need all of God's people to fast and pray before I go to the king. Because she knows that on her own, there's a good chance she might be banished, or worse, if she appears before the king unsolicited. She needs God to enter into it. So she has all of the Jewish people fast and pray, and then goes before the king. And he doesn't banish her, or worse. He says, oh, my beautiful wife, ask and it shall be given to you unto half the kingdom. I think this guy's smitten. Um, and she says, well, all I really want is that you would come to a feast in my apartments um, and bring Haman. And you're thinking, what? As I read this the first time ever, it was like, what? Bring Haman? I don't know. Where is this going? I told you, Netflix worthy. Um, King comes with Haman. They have a fabulous feast. He says, sweetie, what is it you wanted? And she says, well, um, uh, I really want you to come again for dinner. Mmm, building the anticipation. He goes home that night, and he can't sleep. So if you're king of the universe in your own mind, what is the best medicine for sleepless nights? Hey, could you come read me back my own history? Oh, I love to revel in myself. It's a nice bedtime story. And they come across the story of Mordecai saving his life. Xerxes says, hmm, did we ever do anything for that guy? Did we ever celebrate that? And his servants say, no. And he says, okay, let's remedy that. Go get Haman. Get my number two. And he calls Haman in. He says, what should I do for the man who, you know, most seriously served the king? Haman's thinking, he's talking about me. I would love to wear one of your robes, sire. I would love to dress as you, ride your horse, go through the city, have everyone celebrate me. And the king says, let it be done. And you lead the horse, Haman, because we're putting Mordecai on it. Woo! Can you say worst day ever for Haman? Um, and so it happens. Haman is enraged. He goes and builds the tallest gallows ever built in the city of Susa to hang Mordecai on when the time comes because the edict is not reversed. Mordecai may have his day today, but his uh, comeuppance is on the way, and I'm going to hang him right in front of my house. The gallows is built. He gets summoned for the second dinner. And at the second dinner, Esther drops the bomb. The king says, what is it? And she says, Oh, my king, 
why? Why must you kill me and my people? And he says, what? <laughs> Never in a million years. Up until half my kingdom is yours. And she says, oh yeah, you've signed an edict. You're going to kill my people and you're going to kill me. And he says, how is this possible? And she shares the trickery of Haman. The king is just beside, uh, 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 I need some air. I'm like, this could be the big one. Oh my gosh. And he leaves to get outside and get some air because he's overwhelmed by the treachery of Haman. Haman realizes, oh no, this is bad. He falls at the, king, at the queen's feet. In fact, as she's reclining on a sofa, he actually falls on her. And the king comes back in to find Haman touching his wife, pleading for his life. And the king says, oh, no, you didn't. Um, and he said, that will not stand. Haman is bagged, tagged, and on the gallows that he built in five minutes. They work it out. Mordecai takes Haman's job. He can't reverse the edict, but they work with him to put out another edict. And the Jewish people not only are warned and prepared, but they're also victors by the hand of God. So those who set upon them are vanquished. They prosper. Oh, for such a time is this. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you a story, lest you think this is just Esther. Lest you think this is just a Bible story. There's a young man growing up in Philadelphia. He had a rough start, didn't know Jesus, grew up in a family without Jesus. That family still is without Jesus. He fell into working on his testimony really hard got radically saved at 20. Was at a Christian college. He got saved in May and was in a Christian college in August. God took over his life. He went to seminary. He became a church planter. And he's standing here today to tell you for such a time is this. I can't tell you why I'm standing here today. I can only tell you that it's where God wants me to be. I can only tell you that God has the same plan for you. I don't know your story. I was born in Richmond. You know, I had, you know, grew up in the church or didn't grow up in the church. God got a hold of my life. God is leading me. I'm in his word. I'm in prayer. I feel moved. He's placed me at CarMax, the greatest place to work in Richmond, I hear. Um, and for such a time is this. God has plans and purposes. God has things that only you can do. 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 Because he's placed you right where he needs you to be to get them done. 
But hear these words. For if you stay silent, these people will be redeemed by another way. God has plans and purposes. They will not be thwarted. He may have them for you, but if you don't connect to his plans and purposes, he'll find another way. Don't worry about that. What you miss is the blessing of being a conduit for God's grace into the world. You get to miss the opportunity to be the very tools that God uses. We have seen this verse several times over the last couple months. You guys should be familiar with it. I think it's come up, this is probably the third time in three months. This is Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. He has a plan and a purpose. I don't always know what it is. I have no idea when I stand up here what I'm going to say. I have no idea why I'm standing here. I have no idea why I'm at Gate. I have no idea, you know, what God is doing in my life. But you know what? I want more of it. Oh, my goodness, it's intoxicating to walk with God. I want that for you so desperately. I want that for our church. God has huge plans and purposes. Have you all walked around this building? This building's amazing. Have you walked around this property? It's amazing. Is God using it powerfully today? Yes, as we talked about in the very beginning. He is. Could he do 100,000 more things with the 120,000 people who are living within three miles of this place? Yes. And he's called every single one of us into that mission, into those plans and purposes. Oh my gosh, I want you to leave out of here today excited, excited. Maybe you didn't win a beauty pageant. Maybe you didn't, you know, save your whole race. Maybe, you know, you're not queen of Persia, but you are instrument of God. You are created in Christ Jesus for the plans and purposes he has for your life. He has prepared you, cultivated you, and placed you right here. I'm going to pray now. Jeff, I think we're just going to bag the last song since we've gone really long. As I say, I have no idea what God's going to say when I get up here. <laughs> he had a lot to say today. Um, let me pray for us, but I really, really want us to leave here today feeling like, man, we're difference makers. We can be part of God changing a life. Just one. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Ten. Super amazing. 120,000? Let's have a party. We can do that. 
That's what God is calling us to. Next week, we're going to jump into the how. You know, how do we get to if I perish, I perish? Pretty scary stuff, but we're going to tackle it next week. Let me pray for us. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you on our knees now. Um, Father, we uh, long, long to be changed by your word. We long to be thrown into the midst of you. We long to connect to you as we hit our knees before your throne in ways that truly, truly change us, challenge us, convict us that you have created us through Christ Jesus for works that you need us to do. Father, we know, we know that it will come another way if we don't. And we're so thankful for that, for the many times we fail. But Father, we long for your power, for the power of the Spirit in us to connect us to those missions in just powerful, powerful ways that we might be used by you in your service and we might be blessed, blessed as individuals, blessed as a church, blessed as the body of Christ. Father, for we have seen your goodness in our lives, and we respond to it. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask that you inhabit our time this afternoon at the park, keep us dry, <laughs> help us to connect in fellowship, connect in praise, connect in prayer. And Father, more than anything, that you would get the glory and it would be to our good. We ask for all of this in the powerful name of your Son. And the church said, Amen. Amen.